Ah, yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. Verses 9 and 10 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then he answers, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word line upon line. chapter 2. We got partway through it last week and God willing we'll finish uh, this week. And then what I want to do at the end of chapter 2 is invite Pastor Murray to join me for a little bit of Q&A at the end. Uh, chapters 1 and 2 really form the foundation of uh, the author's argument for the rest of the book. And I just want to make sure that we're really solidly uh, understanding what the, that argument is because the rest is really just fleshing out the details of his argument. And I also want to ensure that we're connecting it to what we are, the book we just finished studying, and that is the book of Revelation. So as, as we're going through it, please uh, think about your questions. And I know I normally neglect our uh, Facebook community. Uh, Murray's going to be, uh, Pastor Murray's going to be looking at the chat, and I'll be looking at uh, Facebook, so we'll be able to get questions from both sources this time. Let's open with a word of prayer, and then let's uh, get into Hebrews chapter 2. Our Heavenly Father, we pause and we just uh, we come before you, Lord, ever so grateful that of the billions of people on the earth, you've put it in our hearts to want to study your word, and you've put it in our minds so that we can understand it through the power of your Holy Spirit. And uh, Father, as we study this very enigmatic, mysterious uh, a somewhat uh, perhaps uh, uh, coded book or shielded book, uh, we pray that you'll open it up to our understanding and that as you open our understanding, Father, you'll deepen our conviction and, uh, and strengthen us, uh, convict us, give us greater courage to face the uh, days, weeks, months, years ahead. We praise you, Father. We praise Jesus Christ. We thank you for Jesus Christ 
We thank you for what you and Christ are doing, and we thank you that we have each other and your word. Bless us now, Father, as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's, uh, let's get straight into uh, Hebrews chapter 2. And uh, just, we, we went over this uh, before, I just want to go over it again. I really want to make sure we understand. In, in chapter 1, he begins uh, his opening arguments. And he is uh, basically telling us how great Jesus Christ is and that we have this privilege of receiving this message of salvation directly from Jesus Christ. Not like the, four, not like the forefathers. And when I say we, I, I mean Israel. He's speaking to Hebrews. He's speaking to his Hebrew brethren. He's a part of the Hebrew community. We, I'm, I'm saying we because all of us have been grafted in whether we're natural born Hebrews or not. But let's take ourselves back to the first century where these, he, this Hebrew community is facing a, a level of uh, persecution, a level of tribulation that they don't know if they have the courage to face. And they're looking for the easy way out, and the easy way out is to go backward, to go back to what they knew before, Judaism, and hey, it's the same God, so we're good, right? And, and the apostle here is saying, no, we're not good. It's, it's not good. Uh, that if you go back to Judaism, you are turning your back on Jesus Christ. And that is going to be tragic for you. So he builds this argument of how great Christ is. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than, than the angels. He's greater than the whole creation. And he's going to be continuing that argument through the book of Hebrews. But, but after, that op after those opening statements, we then come to this uh, scripture in the opening up chapter 2. Therefore, because of the greatness of Christ, therefore, and, and because we are receiving this great message of salvation from Christ, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, not, not what the fathers heard, but what we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. And so that's, that's the worry that the apostle has, that, that the brethren may, not that they reject the truth, but that they neglect it and that they let it slip. So we, we have to understand what it is we've been given and we have to pay the more earnest attention to it, lest at any time we should let it slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, there was no abrogation, uh, even though this word didn't come from God, it came from the angels. And now we're receiving this, this message from God himself, from the Son of God. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression, without exception, every transgression and disobedience received a just, and then the King James says, recompense of reward, uh, let's just say punishment. Uh, for if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, it was immovable. It's the word of God. It was spoken by angels, but it's the word of God. And every transgression against that word, which came through angels, every disobedience against that word, received its, its appropriate punishment. Then he says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation. So <laughs> look at the history of the fathers and, and look at their disobedience and look how precise God is and was in punishing every specific violation of his law, beginning with Adam, beginning with Adam and all the fathers. Don't fool around with God's law. There are penalties to breaking God's word. And so the word that was given to Adam, he broke it, and, and he received a just punishment. It was appropriate. It was, it was, the, it was according to it. He wasn't punished arbitrarily. He was punished according to the word of God. And the fathers 
were punished according to the word of God. And so now we receive this message of salvation from God himself, from Jesus Christ, the Almighty. So how shall we escape, we the covenant community, if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, this, this being who is so great, so much greater than any other messenger previously, and that God has spoken to now speak to us through the Lord, and if we neglect this word, how shall we escape? God is a just God. Love and justice go together. It's not love or justice. Love is justice. God is love. God is justice. God is just. And so, how will we escape if we neglect this great salvation, which, was at, the, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? And last week I spoke about the law of two witnesses that God never expects us just to take one man's word for it, even if it's the Lord himself who became a man. He always backs up his word with other witnesses. So any doctrine, any ideology, any ideas that come to us by one man, and like, did anybody else see this? Did anybody else hear this? Do you have any miracles to back this up? Did, 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 did God confirm your word? No. I, we just have to take your word for it. Oh, you have a sword. Oh, that changes everything. It changes nothing. It changes nothing. The Word of God is confirmed by God, and He always backs it up with other messengers. And that's the beauty of the Bible, that this book that was written in three different languages on three different continents by multiple, multiple authors, it's the same God. And, and each of them are confirming each other's words. And when the Lord came, then the apostles came, and they confirmed what He said with miracles, and God backed Him up. Now, this argument that the author is making here in these just opening two chapters is the argument of the whole book and it is just how shall we escape if we neglect this salvation which came to us by the Lord Jesus Christ himself and and he's he's gonna go in we're gonna go into these details now as we go through the chapters over the next weeks ahead God willing and uh, we just let's just uh, kind of race ahead and just see the consistency of the message of Hebrews it is right here we will not escape if we, if we neglect this salvation. So the, the author is going to go back and forth between the promise of salvation and the perdition of those who turn their back, the perdition of cowards. And this is the very same message that we saw in the book of Revelation, where God gave this revelation to Christ, the Apocalypsis, he then gave it to an angel to give to John, to give to us, so that we could know the end of the story. And at the end of the story, we see this great salvation. We see, in fact, God himself, God the Father himself, coming down to earth to tabernacle with man. And man covenanting with Christ in a marriage ceremony for eternity. And, and the tree of life, and the, the river of, uh, of life, the water of life. And, and we just see this beauty and the new Jerusalem. What a great salvation spoken by the Lord himself. But that's not the only part of the story. We also see the very stern warnings to the seven churches to say, get your act together because my wrath is coming upon mankind and I don't want you included in my wrath. I, I want to pass over. I want to pass over you just as I passed over ancient Israel and punished Egypt and brought Egypt down. Now I'm going to punish Babylon and bring Babylon down, and I want to pass over you. 
So you, you, you can't be fearful. In fact, the story ends with cowards being the first category of human beings to be thrown into the lake of fire. I, I always say cowards, then criminals. Cowards first. Weakness is evil. I'll say it again. Weakness is evil. If we are weak, we are brothers and sisters of the devil. Because we will let the devil have his way. It was weakness that allowed Hitler to be Hitler. Weakness that allowed Stalin to be Stalin. Weakness that allowed all of these evil men to do all of their evil where nobody could stand up to them and say stop. They all just went along out of fear. And then this is what Hebrews tackles head on. Do not be fearful. There are those who have the formula for success built on fear. I know men are cowards, and therefore I will gain victory over them by terrorizing them, by making them fearful. And Christians cannot be fearful. If we are fearful, we are brothers and sisters of the devil. Weakness is evil. Christ, to be, to be a Christian, we have to be courageous. And so, this, this is the argument. How shall we escape? if we neglect this great salvation, which was spoken by the Lord himself. Now let's just fast forward. We'll get here when we get to Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, but here in, in, we're going to see the same argument. For if we sin willfully, these Hebrews are thinking of turning their back on Christ, denying Christ, and, and, and going to a religion that's sanctioned by Rome so that they don't fall under persecution. Because Christ, uh, Christianity was uh, an illicit religion. It was an illegal religion. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. So it's not like we can't say we didn't know. We can't say we didn't have the Holy Spirit. This is talking to a Christian community that has received the truth, that has received the Holy Spirit, that, that, that knows Christ, and now is con contemplating, for sake of avoiding persecution, contemplating turning their back on Him. And the Apostle makes it very clear. If we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. This is not like there's another sacrifice. Like in the ancient days where you just keep get another goat, get another bull, get a sin offering, get a free will offering, just, let's, let's just keep offering and maybe next year we'll be better. No, that's all over now. Christ has come and he shed his blood. And, and, and God Almighty came to earth and shed his blood to redeem Israel. And through Israel, all of mankind. He did this once for eternity. There's, there's nothing else. So if we turn our back on this great sacrifice, which enables such a great salvation, there's nothing else. There's, there's nothing else. So if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. Instead, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversary. So this is exactly what we saw in the book of Revelation, that there's a fiery indignation which is coming from God, from heaven, to earth, to devour the adversaries of God. And what Hebrews is telling us here, which is what we should have picked up in Revelation, is that if we are fearful and turn our back on Christ, we will not enjoy the Passover. The, the wrath of God, we are not appointed to wrath as long as we are in Christ. 
But if we turn our back on Christ, then there's no, there's no protection for us. There's no other means of salvation. We have, we have put ourselves in the category of the wicked, of, of those who are outside the camp. And so, you know, anciently, those who did not take the blood and put it on their doorpost thought, you know, everything's, well, we don't need to put blood on our doorpost, everything will be fine. If, if they did that, they would have lost their firstborn. And so here, the believers, and again, this once saved, always saved evil doctrine, we've got to get rid of this. You know, you know I just feel like uh, I, I, can, I can empathize with the Apostle Paul who was uh, with the Ephesians, and he warned them night and day for three years with tears, because he could see what was coming. And so he was warning them and warning them and hoping that they would understand what he was saying, and then he had to leave them. And, and he was still like, you know, I, I, I can see what I can see. I can see the seeds of the future in the present, and I'm warning you with tears. And, and I think those ministers who, who can see the future, who see what's coming, we realize the need for us to be building communities that are healthy, that are edifying one another, where everybody in the community uses their gift to edify the body and strengthen the body. Why? Because of what's coming. The community makes us stronger. And the gifts God gives these gifts to different brethren in different ways according to their abilities and, and, and their uniqueness so that each person edifies the body in a unique way and together the body is strengthened. And then through that strength, we face whatever's coming. But you know, there's so much conflict in, these, in, in, in various congregations, now I'm not speaking specifically of CGI, just church in general, human beings in general coming together, we can get very petty, very petty. And instead of building each other up, we're tearing each other down. Instead of understanding, this is about community. We think we're individuals, and I, you know, I have this wonderful relationship with God, I'm, I'm this holy man, I'm just so spiritual, I'll pop into a congregation once in a while, I'll grace the congregation with my presence once in a while. This is not Christianity. This is not Christianity. Christianity is all about community, and it's about giving and helping and understanding that, okay, I, I've received the Holy Spirit, not so that I can feel holy, but so that I can edify so that I can follow the, the will of God, and the will of God is to love one another. And so because of the Holy Spirit, I'm able to love my brethren, and I'm passionate about edifying the brethren. And you know what? As I edify the brethren, they edify me. As they edify me and I get stronger, I can edify the brethren and they get stronger. And as they get stronger, they make me stronger, and I make them stronger, and, and that's the way the community works. And you know, fortunately, most of us are able to uh, commune, but there are some brethren who are so remote, they, they can't commune. But we have technology, and so we can include them. In fact, Pastor Murray was talking to me the other day, and I think he even said this last week, that you know the, the chats that we have after the Bible study each week, it feels like a third congregation to us. We look after two congregations here in Ontario, and then it feels like we have this virtual congregation. And, and this is what God wants, where we, we do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together because we understand what is coming and the need to be stronger and stronger and stronger. And that strength comes from the edification of one another. So if we turn our back on this salvation out of fear, that, that this is what it all is. It's all about being caught off guard, not realizing the intensity of the persecution that's coming, not realizing that evil men will wax worse and worse, and that they hate Christ, and that, they, they, that Satan is inspiring them to destroy anybody associated with Christ, 
we didn't really see it coming. And we were fooling around, we were uh, obstructing the ministry, we were uh, um, uh, gossiping about the brethren, we were tearing down one another, and, and then now suddenly we have to face something that we, we realize we don't have the strength for. We don't have the love. What is going to get us through the times ahead is the love we have for God and the love we have for one another. But if we don't have this love, instead we're going to have to face the wrath of God. So instead of the sacrifice of the blood of Christ washing us from our sins, enabling the Passover, instead there'll be a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation. It's too late. Which shall devour the adversaries? And then we get included in that. Notice this. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. So again, it's never without witnesses. There's a, the way just God's justice works, there need to be witnesses. We don't put people to death on the strength of one witness. We don't accept accusations on the strength of one witness. Always two or three witnesses. So again, this argumentation methodology of the lesser to the greater. So if all of this happened under Moses' law, of how much sore punishment suppose you, shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sacrificed an unholy thing and has done uh, insult unto the Spirit of grace. So it's really this is the unpardonable sin because this, the Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus Christ. And so when we receive the Holy Spirit, we can't help but witness of Christ. We testify of Christ because it's the Spirit in us that is testifying. And so for us to turn our back on Christ is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. And so, how do you get around these scriptures is my question. Do we say that, oh, these are not true believers? Uh, this is all nonsense. These are people, the, the, the Hebrew community, part of the community, who have received the Holy Spirit, who have testified of Christ, who, who have set, accepted Christ, and are now contemplating turning their back on Him. And the message from the Apostle is, if you do that, you will go into the lake of fire. You will face a fiery judgment, and in the indignation of the wrath of God will come down squarely upon your head. Even though you, you today you are in Christ, if you apostatize, and, and the prophecy is that many are going to do this, and there's going to be a massive apostasy. In fact, it's already in motion. But it's not over yet, because this is how powerful the devil is. But if we do this, this is the future, because of how lightly we're taking the Word of God. So that's chapter 10, and then ultimately we're going to come to this conclusion uh, in chapter 12 before concluding in chapter 13. He says here, again, he's building up this argument. So this we're laying the foundation here in chapters 1 and 2, but this is where we're going. See that you refuse not him that speaks. So it's all about who is speaking to us. Anciently it was the angels and, and the prophets talking to the fathers. Now it's the Lord himself speaking to us. See that you refuse not him that speaks. For if they escaped not, who refused him that spoke on earth, that's Moses, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven. Where is the one saved always saved here? Let's be very careful. Let's, let's, let's act with a sense of urgency that there is something in the future, and, and we know what it is because the revelation has come to us. And he says, you know, blessed is he that reads and they who hear the words of this prophecy. 
and keep those things that are written therein for the time is at hand. And what I would hate is for us to leave the book of Revelation and come to the book of Hebrews as if like, okay, yeah, we did Revelation, that's over. Now we're in another book. This, this has nothing to do with the, the months of study that we just did in the book of Revelation. We're on to a new subject now. No, 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 we're not. There's only one subject, and it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the appearing of our Lord. This is the finish line. The only thing on our minds now, or should be, is the appearing of our Lord. When will he appear? And will we be ready for his appearance? This is the finish line. And we now understand his appearance from the book of Revelation. In fact, we understand the whole Bible. The, the arc of the story of the Bible is in the book of Revelation. And so we must hold on to this. This is our study for the rest of our life. Blessed is he that reads and keeps reading and keeps reading, and they who hear and keep hearing and keep hearing the words of this prophecy, the book of Revelation. And cursed is anybody who takes anything away from it. They're, they're, they'll be taken away. Their name will be taken away from the book of life. And anybody who adds to it, all the curses of the book will be added to them. So this book, this book matters. And we're, we haven't left it. What we're doing now with Hebrews, even though this is a message to the first century Hebrews, it's written for us. Because just as they were facing a level of persecution that, that was unprecedented for them, they had not seen that level of persecution before because of the, the wrath of the devil, they were going to turn their back on Christ. And Christ tells us that in the last time, many will betray one another. So just as we now, ahead of us, is a level of persecution that's unprecedented. The world has never seen this type of uh, persecution. We need to keep the things that are written in the prophecy of the book of Revelation. And now what we're doing here is just getting detail, getting sort of a detailed look of how to withstand the persecution that's coming. Because it shows us in Revelation, the saints, saints are successful. Not all the saints, but many saints are successful with Christ, in Christ. And this is now giving us a bit of detail as to how we can be in that category of saints that, that prevails, that succeeds with the Lord. So if they escaped not who refused him that spoke on earth, much more shall not we, Christians, believers, those with whom the Holy Spirit dwells, uh, much more shall not we escape if we, turn, if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven. And we know the prophecies say many are going to turn away. Love of many are going to wax cold. Many are going to betray one another. Many false prophets are going to rise and people are going to follow them. Many will be weak and cowardly if we turn, if we turn away from him that speaks. So this is, this is the that's sort of the culmination of the argument. And everything in Hebrews is, is kind of revolving around this argument of how great the Lord is. You know, the other thing, so one thing we're going to get from this book is conviction and courage. And, 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 a, and a very stern warning, you know, this is, this is um, we call it the book of Hebrews, uh, the, the epistle to the Hebrews. It's really a sermon, and it, it kind of gives us a good sense as elders, those of us who are elders, how a sermon is constructed. That it's not, we don't come into a congregation and say, you're lovely, and I'm lovely, and isn't it just so nice to know the Lord? When there's sin in the congregation, when the congregation is not living up to the maturity of Christ, this is a letter, this is a love letter, and it's very stern. The apostle is not pulling any punches here. Because people's lives, people's eternal lives are at risk. And, and sometimes as elders, we have to move with urgency because we see 
what is at risk. And, and, and Paul, uh, as we go through this book, we're going, to, um, we're going to experience a level of harshness. There's no pulling of punches. It's almost at times he can be insulting. You know, you, you should be teachers by now, but you're babies. And, and, I, and I, I, I want to bring you meat, but I realize I, the state that you're in, you need milk. You're, you're like, you need formula because you're like a, a baby. This is harsh language. But what we have to understand is this is love. This is a love letter. This is loving language. This is pull these people out of the fire so that they can have eternal life. And I'm not kidding when I say fire. It's the, the fiery indignation of the Lord. And so we have to help one another. And so, you know, one of the things we're going to see here is this very stern warning while at the same time holding out the promise, holding out what this salvation is. But through his argumentation, the other thing we're going to see is how great Jesus Christ is, how, how holy he is. I want to use the word awesome, but it's such an overused word. I, 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 maybe glorious. I, I'm not sure what word to use. Words fail me, but I think you understand what I'm saying. Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Almighty. He's so gracious. He's so holy. And in, in, in making his argument, basically the message is, do not apostatize. Do not turn back. But in building up this warning, he, he, he builds up the glory of Christ so that you understand who it is we are listening to, who it is we are engaged with. And so the other benefit of studying this book is our worship of Jesus Christ. That we can't help but glorify Him. We can't help but be grateful to Him. And anybody who comes along to tell us that Christ is not God, Christ is not the Almighty, uh, you know, Unitarians and, and, and Trinitarians and Binitarians and, and all these people who are trying to uh, minimize Christ, we, we can't accept it. We, we will not accept it. Because we understand who He is. The world doesn't understand who He is. And the world hates Him. But we understand who He is. So this is one of the other benefits we're going to get from studying this book, is the glory of Christ. And so let's go back to Hebrews 2. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him? God also bearing them witness, so God is backing them up, the message. So they're backing up Christ, and God is backing them up. So multiple witnesses. God also bearing them witnesses, both with signs and wonders, and diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit always testifies to Christ. And we see that in John 16, the purpose of the Spirit. And gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. For unto the angels has he not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak. So, so we're all looking to this. When, when the Lord appears, there's this new world. And that's what, he, that's what all the apostles were speaking about. But one in a certain place, and now he's going back to the Psalms and, and speaking of David, one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? And this, this is the question. What is man? Why, you know, we look at this massive universe, and they're out there searching for life, and they can't find life anywhere, and this planet Earth is so unique, and yet... It's not really, uh, it's not in a privileged position in the universe. It's just this speck in the corner of the universe somewhere. It just, 
it doesn't make any sense to people. They don't understand it. And they're, they're asking the same question, what is man? And, 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 and they have nothing to do with God. They're just looking at the universe. But those of us who understand God and his love for man, we're like David to say, you know, what is man? Here the apostle saying, what is man? That you are mindful of him. And we saw even Job was asking this question. Or the son of man that you visit him. Why do you fellowship with man? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crown him with glory and honor and it set him over the works of your hands. So this is a very, very big mystery. How can we understand what is man? Why does God have this fascination with man? What is he? This is the question. And, and he's ground with glory and honor. And he's set over the works of all the creation. He's, he's the highest in creation. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. And we go back to Genesis and saw from the very beginning this was the will of God. That man was created in his image and likeness and the whole creation was subjected to him. He says, you've put all things in subjection under his feet. What, what is going on here? It's a mystery. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. Everything is under man. Because man is in God's image. But now... We see not yet all things put under him. So the Hebrews are getting discouraged. They're thinking of going back. And Paul is saying, wait a minute, <laughs> there's, a, there's a purpose here for all of this. There's a glory in the future. We don't see that glory right now. We do not yet see all things put under him, all things put under man. What do we see? But we see Jesus. This is what we see. We see Jesus. And this changes everything. He was made a little lower than the angels. Why was God, the Son of God, why did He come from heaven to earth? To earth. Again, people are confused. Why this focus and fascination with earth? It's just, it's just a random planet in this massive universe. Well, not really. He was made a little lower than the angels. Why? For the suffering of death. He was made for the suffering of death. And, and so we see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for the purpose of dying that's why he came he, he emptied himself of the Godhead Philippians 2 tells us this and he came to earth specifically to die and when we were studying the book of Luke together we saw him on this steady march to Jerusalem where he knew he was going to be slaughtered and he was just focused and steadfast I am on my way to Jerusalem the son of man must be slaughtered in Jerusalem why? because this was the mechanism through which he would save man. He was made a little lower than the angels for the, for the purpose of suffering of death. Now he's crowned with glory and honor. And we saw that in the book of Revelation. That he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. So the Hebrews are terrified of dying. Nobody wants to die. Nobody wants to die. But Christ came to die. And the reason he came to die was to redeem Israel. That through his death, he could provide salvation through his blood for all mankind through Israel. So now he's crowned with glory that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. So he's the firstborn from the dead. And his death is for us. 
And so we don't need to fear death anymore because we see Jesus. We see Jesus who came from heaven to earth, died a brutal death, and then three days and three nights later, he was resurrected. And over 500 brethren saw him. Multiple, multiple, multiple witnesses. And so people are going to come along and say, oh, it didn't happen. How dare them? How dare them deny what, what God has done for man? Only the wickedest of men could say that this did not happen and, and trivialize it. We have to stand in awe. Like, what? The Creator? Like, how do we wrap our minds around this? This is the love that the Creator has for us. And, and now He's crowned with glory and honor. And we know that man is destined for glory and honor. Man is destined to have dominion over the whole creation. But it is, it is going to come to us through Christ. And so we're not going to be discouraged. We see Jesus, and that's all we need to see. We get it now. We, we, we have the vision because we see Jesus. And let's again, let's go back to the book of Revelation, where this, this, this revelation is from, uh, from Christ and this uh, greeting of grace and peace from the Father and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. So he came from heaven to earth, left his God, godliness, left the Godhead, and all of his attributes of glory and power that he had with the Father, and he just became a human being. A weak human being just like you and I. But he remained faithful. With the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit testifies of Christ, so with the Holy Spirit he testified of himself to the end. And he did not back down. Satan threw everything at him, and he was courageous. Through the Holy Spirit he did not back down. And so he was a faithful witness. And because of that, he is now the firstborn of the dead. Not the only born, the firstborn. And so we have the formula for success. We are Christians. We follow Christ. He was a faithful witness. We will be a faithful witness. The Holy Spirit testified of him. The Holy Spirit in us testifies of him. He is now born from the dead. We will be born from the dead. We're not afraid of death because we understand the resurrection because we see Jesus. And he's the prince of the kings of the earth. Unto him that loved us, this is why he came to earth, because he loved Israel. He's come to redeem the woman, the woman in Genesis 3, that, that the serpent deceived and destroyed. And, and so the first Adam failed her, but the second Adam comes to redeem her. And he comes to redeem her through the personage of Israel, that he's coming to marry Israel. So the redemption of man is through Israel. Eve is redeemed in Israel. So he loved us, us being Israel, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's why he came to earth, to taste death for every man. So he came to be slaughtered so that he could take his blood and wash our sins away from us. This is the love of God. And the wicked cannot understand this. It's just, first of all, it's just hard, just, it's just hard to comprehend. But then the wicked, their hearts are hardened. And they want whatever their lusts want. And they want power and, and money and sex. These are the idols that they pursue. And if we study their lives, forget their rhetoric. Forget the rhetoric. Anybody can make rhetoric that sounds good. Let's study their fruit. And what we see in their fruit is idolatry. They want money. They want sex. They want power. These are the idols. These are the false gods. And now notice this, he washes us in a, in a and this is the glory. This is the glory that, that we see. He's made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. This is the glory and the dominion. We are going to be kings 
We are going to be priests. And, and as kings, we're going to rule. As priests, we're going to facilitate a relationship between God and man, just as Christ is doing for us now. <clears throat> kings and priests unto God and His Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. We can't help but praise Him because of this great love that He has, who He is, what He's done. Amen. Now, later in this uh, chapter, uh, as, as Christ is speaking to the Apostle John, the Apostle turns to look at who, who is speaking with him. And I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Remember, this is all symbolic language. So he's going to explain that these candlesticks, the symbolism of these candlesticks, are the churches. And it's a mystery. John, John didn't understand what he's looking at because of the dynamics of what he was seeing. And, and Christ had to un un decode it for him, because it is to be decoded. We need to understand it. I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. So this is the high priest. This is the high priest, and, and we know that the high priests were always, uh, you know, they, they had a, something around, around the, 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 the paps, around the, the chest, and uh, their, their garments would go down to the foot. Uh, but in this case, it's a, it's a white garment and a golden girdle, but it is our high priest, and he's in the midst of the churches. His head and his hairs were white like wool. Okay, that's, uh, that's what it is. So he's got this glory in his hair, as white as snow. Notice this, his eyes were as a flame of fire. This is the fiery indignation. This is the fiery indignation. This is the wrath of God. And that's why it was a mystery. John, John, John collapsed, first of all, from what he saw. He fainted, passed out. And then it had to be explained to him, why this wrath? Why such anger in the eyes? <clears throat> his eyes is a flame of fire. And in his right hand, seven stars. Why does he have seven stars in his right hand? What is their purpose? And out of his mouth, went a sharp two-edged sword. Why this sharp two-edged sword when he's in the midst of the churches? Uh, shouldn't this all be just loving and hugging and embracing? Why this dynamic of wrath in the eyes and a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth and the, the, the seven stars in his right hand and this, this bright countenance? And now in, when he begins to address now, so the sharp two-edged sword is the word of God. And the purpose of the seven stars is to take that sword and deliver it to each of the churches. To take the word of God to the churches. And it's a sharp two-edged sword. So if we're not right with God, we have to face this two-edged sword. We have to face the wrath of God, the, the fiery indignation. So we have to, he's giving us this warning so that we can get right with him, so that we can enjoy the Passover and, and not be victims of his wrath, which is the message in Hebrews. So here now, as he begins to address Ephesus, we see an interesting twist, uh, or, or development, I should say. Because when he turned to see the voice that spoke with him, it said in verse 13 that the voice was in the midst of the seven candlesticks. But we just get a little bit more detail in chapter 2, verse 1, that unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he that holds the seven stars in his right hand. So that's what John saw. But just this little bit of detail that's added. Who walks in the midst of the seven candlesticks. So it's not just that he's in the middle of the seven candlesticks. He's actually walking through the, through the candlesticks. Evaluating the different candlesticks. 
and and the message is now being sent by these stars taking the sword the two-edged sword that's sharp and taking it to the seven candlesticks based on what he saw but it's important that we see here that he walks because uh, uh, our brother Jan the deacon here in, in Burlington was giving a sermon last week actually we we're in London and uh, this sermon the scripture that he quoted just it just leapt off the page at me and I was like wow why didn't I see that before in Deuteronomy 23 And verse 14, so Revelation 2, 1, and actually Revelation 1, uh, 19, uh, is actually a callback to Deuteronomy 23, 14. And I missed this the first time I went through it. For the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp. Why is he walking in the midst of the camp? To deliver you and to give up your enemies before you. That's why. He needs the camp to be strong. He needs the camp to be right with him so that the camp is not subjected to his wrath. And that's what he's doing in the midst of the seven candlesticks, is evaluating the candlesticks and giving them his word so that we can correct ourselves so that we can avoid his wrath. For the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and to give up your enemies before you. That's, this is the message of, of the apostle to the Hebrews. Don't worry about your enemies because it's all going to be reversed and we're going to be in thrones and we're going to be uh, rendering righteous judgment and they are going to be weak and without power they'll have nothing the, the devil will be in the in, in a pit uh, arrested and imprisoned and chained and they'll just have to face the judgment uh, to give up your enemies before you so this great wrath of god is coming upon these enemies Therefore shall your camp be holy. That's what he's doing in the midst of the candlesticks. And he doesn't like everything he sees. So he's telling the church, look, I really appreciate this, but I hate this. You better fix this. Because this is not holiness. And you cannot dwell with me if this is in the camp. Therefore shall your camp be holy, that he see no unclean thing in you, and turn away from you. This is the purpose of him being in the camp. This is why his eyes are full of fiery indignation and why there's a sharp sword, a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. And this is what, this is the same God that is inspiring the apostle to speak to the Hebrews. There is a fiery indignation that is awaiting them. They're one of the candlesticks, let's say. There's this fire indignation that's awaiting them. And there's this sharp two-edged sword that's saying, get your act together. That this isn't a picnic. Get serious. The finish line is coming. Let's run hard, and let's stay. Let's stay focused and, and pay attention to what we're doing. Because there's no, there's no rewind. There's no do over. When it's over, it's over. Your, your time. It's like when you're running a race, and you know you're a little bit tired. You've been running for a while, and you know you just kind of ease up a little bit. And then there's the finish line, and then you kind of give it a bit, and you cross, and then you get your time, and then you think, you know, I could have pushed a bit more. I, I could have ran a bit harder. It's too late. That that's now the permanent record. And you're thinking, you know, I should have ran harder. And that's what's going to happen now with us. That we're going to think, I should have loved more. I, I could have been more loving. I could, have, I could have used my gifts more to edify. I could have been more, uh, I could have contributed more. I could have been more of a positive force in the community. There's no rewind. And so coming now to this, uh, what we're facing and what the Hebrews were facing, which is a foreshadow of what we will face in the future, 
uh, and not necessarily our generation, maybe, uh, I think most likely, but it might be future generation. And it was given unto the beast to make war with the saints and to overcome them. This is what the Hebrews, uh, the Hebrews were facing a type of this. You know, they were they were facing it with the sixth beast. We have to face it with the, the eighth beast, the seventh beast, which is the, 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 the dies and it comes back, which is the eighth head of the beast, <clears throat> which is really the seventh. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and, and to overcome them. And, and the only way we can face this is if we have the love of God, if we have the Holy Spirit. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And, and Daniel saw the same thing, I beheld the same horn, made war with the saints and prevailed against them. That's, this is in the book, that, that the, 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 the Satan and the beast will have their way for a little season. But the saints, we have a job. Our job is to testify to Christ. And that's why Christ says here in Luke, I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Don't fear the beast. Don't fear the devil. Don't fear wicked men. I'll tell you who to fear. This is, this, this is the word of Christ. Fear him which after he has killed has power to cast in hell. Yes, I say unto you, fear him. Don't, don't fear men, fear him. He says, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. And, and you know, when, when, John, when John saw Christ and he collapsed, Christ put his hand on him and said, Fear not. Fear not. Be right with me. you got nothing to fear. Be right with me. And John was right with God. The, you know, the, actual, the book opens with declaring John a faithful witness. And so Christ says to him, fear not. But if we're unfaithful witnesses, we better fear. And this is the message to the Hebrews. You better fear. But don't fear men. <clears throat> fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men. And this is what we need to understand. That the, whole, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to enable us to do the will of God. And a big part of that is to testify of Christ, to confess Christ. So also I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. That's what we want. We want the Son of God proud of us. We want the Son of God, the Son of Man, confessing us and, and identifying us and upholding us and, and exalting us. This is what we're after. <clears throat> But he that denies me before men, and this is the same message, so Christ is basically uh, giving the playbook to the church. And the church is turning their back on it, and so the apostle in Hebrews is reminding them of the playbook. Hey guys, don't, don't do this. He that denies me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. Christ does not speak vainly. He's not saying this just because he had nothing to do one day, and I thought, you know, I need to say something profound. I I'm God after all. It wouldn't be right if I come to earth and I don't say anything profound. Hmm, let me think. What could I say that's really profound? Oh, I know. He that denies me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. doesn't mean anything, because once you're saved, you're always saved. I just was trying to say something profound. He's saying this because this is a very real threat. And, and the book of Hebrews shows us the very real threat that, that the apostle was dealing with back then, which is the very real threat that we face in the future. And so my earnest prayer is that the brethren understand we have to edify one another we have to do this urgently we have to strengthen one another to face what's coming we don't strengthen ourselves so so god doesn't give me the holy spirit so that i can strengthen myself he gives me the holy spirit so i can strengthen others and he doesn't give others the holy spirit so they can strengthen themselves he gives them their gifts so that they can strengthen me and this is the way the body works
and this is what God wants us to understand and, and build each other up so that we can be successful. We cannot be successful by ourselves. And so if we're in the right community, if we're edifying one another, we will not turn our back on Christ. <clears throat> he that denies me before man shall be denied before the angels of God. And what a tragedy that will be. And there will just be a fiery indignation. Back to Hebrews. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. <clears throat> For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. So we see Christ and everything has been put under Christ. But now we see not yet all things put under him. So that's man, but now we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For he put all things, and this is now uh, Corinthians, Paul was uh, saying the same thing, that he's, God is the Father has put all things under Christ's feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it's obvious that the Father is accepted which did put all things under him. So same language. And uh, here in Isaiah, the prophecy says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So this human being that came to the earth, just a, a baby, grew up as a normal human being, this was God. And now all things have been put under his feet. And he is our forerunner, he's our pioneer. And so the glory that he has received from the Father, he wants to share that glory with us. And uh, again, same thing, Isaiah just prophesied that this human being is going to come and he's going to redeem Israel. Even so, his weakness is his strength. The fact that he, he suffered brutally, but faithfully, because he loved Israel, is how he redeemed Israel. And now the same way that he loved us, we must now love him. And this love that we have for him means we'll face anything. He cannot, there's nothing that Christ can ask of us that's too big of an ask. It's like, well, well slow down, Jesus. You know, you did, you did good, you did well, but I think you're just going a little bit too far now to ask me to give up my life or to suffer in any way. This is ridiculous. The, the sacrifice of Christ is so profound that our response is, okay, he owns me. Whatever he wants, whatever he asks me to do, I will do. Wherever he asks me to go, I will go. I, I, there, there's just no way that I can thank him enough. And, and my life is just nothing, and yet he valued it. And, but it's nothing. But he valued it. I have to value him. And so this, this is how we see that his weakness was his strength. And this is what we have to see, is that our weakness, or our apparent weakness, is our strength. Because what we're doing in facing the, the, the beast and his minions is being faithful to Christ. And that takes strength. So whatever they do to our body, they do, you know, that's whatever they do, they do. But they cannot force us to deny Christ. And this is where we, this is the, this is the strength of the inner man. So he says, uh, uh, he was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace, Israel's peace was upon him. And with his stripes, Israel, the breach with Israel, is healed. Back to Hebrews. For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, he's the creator, in bringing many sons unto glory. That, so he's come to be our pioneer, to bring us to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings, or mature. He came to a full maturity, a full understanding of how to be our high priest through these sufferings. And we see this in uh, Romans 3, that he was sent to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. So the wrath of God is appeased 
This is the Passover through his blood, just as it was anciently, so it is now, for the remission of sins. For both he that sanctifies and they who are sanctified are all of one. So he, he's come to earth to make us as one with him. This is when the, the, the male and female were created as one. There's a unity and a complementarity. So in the same way as he comes now and redeems Israel, his wife, his bride, we're all one. The, the husband and wife are one. For which cause he's not ashamed to call them brethren. Even though he's God, he's on, he's, he's come down to our level to bring us up to his level so we're now all brethren saying I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto you and so again it's in the midst of the church this is why he's in the midst of the seven candlesticks to clean them up to clean us up so that we can then glorify Christ in holiness and so he's going to declare in the midst of the church and this is a callback to Psalm 22, that I will declare your name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation while I praise you. And when, when, whenever there's these callbacks to the scriptures, we need to read the whole scripture to get the context because the Hebrews would know. They would have these scriptures memorized and he just has to call one phrase or one verse in that scripture and then they know the whole scripture. They didn't have all the uh, chapter and verse uh, uh, divisions. They just knew the scriptures. And so if we kind of look at the rest of this psalm, he says, My praise shall be of you in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. But as the psalm begins, he says, But you are holy, O you that inhabit the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you did deliver them. And so this is the callback. This is the context of the callback for the Hebrews. That if those fathers of ours that trusted in God, he delivered them. And so if we trust in him, he will deliver us, and then we're all going together to praise the Father. He says, They cried unto you, and they were delivered. They trusted in you, and were not confused. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. There is none to help. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. So the dog is going to get the upper hand. The beast is going to get the upper hand. But we trust in God, and he will deliver us. And that's what we saw in, saw in uh, Revelation 6, the martyrs calling out, how much longer? And, and God just saying, be patient. But then we see that he does avenge. And so Psalm 35, again, this praising in the congregation. Psalm 149, singing unto the Lord a new song and praising in the congregation. And then ultimately we saw this in Revelation 14, where the 144,000 were given a song, uh, given a, 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 a hymn or a song, that they could sing that in the midst of the con with Christ in, in, this is the congregation praising God for what he has done so this this is the future but we have to be delivered we have to trust in him and be delivered to be counted part of the congregation that Christ is going to praise the father in the midst of back to Hebrews and again I will put my trust in him and again behold I am the children which God has given me and again these are callbacks to uh, the, the Psalms, and, and again, we want to read the whole Psalm. So, Psalm 16 1, Oh, I preserve me, O God, for in you do I put my trust. In 18 2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. And so, these Psalms, these various Psalms, are there, uh, whatever situation David was going through, but they're preserved because they're prophetic and they're encouraging 
and we see how faithful God is. And so these are written for our admonition. Here in Isaiah, the prophet says, In that day you shall say, O Lord, I will praise you, though you were angry with me. And this is again representative of Israel. Your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. So there is a tribulation that Israel had to go through because God was angry, and he's just according to his word, but he did comfort them. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. And this is, this is the message to the Hebrews. Trust God. Do not be afraid. Do not be a coward. Weakness is evil. If we're weak, we're brothers and sisters of the devil. If we are strong, we are brethren with Christ. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. So we just, again, book of Revelation, how it all ends. We see the joy at the end of the book. Okay, let's endure. Christ said, he that endures unto the end will be saved. And so we see the end is his appearing. And so that's, that's what's on our mind. How do we stay faithful and true to the end? Because when he appears, he asks the question, will he find faith on the earth? We want to say, yes, Lord. Let me just go through this and get back to... Um, so there's just these scriptures in, in Isaiah, these prophe prophecies of the joy in Israel and the singing in Israel if they remain faithful and come through. Hebrews 2.14 For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that has the power of death, that is the devil. So nobody wants to die. Every, everybody's afraid of death. No one wants to die. And, and that's the power of the wicked. That's the power of the devil, that he understands how fearful people are of death. And so we just need to know what happens and how it happened, and, and we just think, I don't want that to happen to me, so we become cowards. And we need to be looking at this just this week in Toronto, uh, sorry, not this week, last week in Toronto, horrible, horrible tragedy. And people are terrorized by these things. But the Christian has to say, no, we do not fear death, because we understand now what it is. We fear the second death, not the first death. So through death he might destroy him, that has the power of death. And so it's very interesting language that he's going to destroy the devil. People think the devil will be around forever. He's going to destroy him that has the power of death, that is the devil. The devil will be destroyed. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So cowards are in bondage. We must break this bondage and be free. So when we were baptized, we died with Christ. Now that we're dead, we're free. Because we understand, okay, we, we have eternal life. And so we can't be fearful. We just have to declare Christ. And whatever the cost is, it is. That's, you know, what we were counseled at baptism. Did you count the cost? Do you understand this? Might, yeah, 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 yeah. But now when actually the rubber meets the road, we're like, whoa, I didn't realize this was real. Yes, it is real. We have to be people of truth and declare Christ. And so this is where we see flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That there is this uh, resurrection where Christ says that it's, you know, it's like the wind, you know, in John 3, 8, <clears throat> that when, we're, when we have this birth, when we're born from the grave, we're like the wind. This is this, this pneumatic body, spiritual body. And again, we've, we've talked about Matthew 24, how many are going to betray one another, there's going to be many false prophets, and people are going to follow these false prophets with their deception, uh, kind of uh, 
gospel of uh, health and wealth and everything's fine and you don't need it once saved always saved and you don't need to do anything rather than the truth and because iniquity shall abound the love of many shall wax cold and how we can detect you know we're going to buy their fruits we shall know them but also here in isaiah eight twenty, to the law and to the testimony to the law and to the testimony if they speak not according to this word it is because there is no light in them and the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of jesus christ and so we can we can avoid the deception of the wicked and so here in revelation 12 what we saw is that the saints overcome the beast by the blood of the lamb that's it we understand his death we understand the passover we take his blood and we wash our sins with it away from us with it and by the word of their testimony this this is the message to the hebrews and this is why the message to the hebrews is so important to us because this is this is our future this is reality that it's the word of our testimony that gives us the victory it's not trying to stay alive at all costs it's trying to remain faithful to this witness and it by the, by the word of our testimony the blood of the lamb the word of our testimony and they love not their lives unto the death we are just so grateful to jesus christ and what he has accomplished that our puny little human life that for most of us it's, it's over anyway I mean, maybe we've got a few decades left or maybe even a few years maybe a few days maybe a few hours who knows we don't know but we know that it's fleeting and so when we compare a fleeting life of, of, of turmoil and suffering to an eternal life of joy and intimacy with Christ you know what we're good we'll take the eternal life thank you very much you know when I was a kid they used to have uh, uh, the prices another price is right let's make a deal and you could take the box or you could take the curtain and you know behind the curtain there might be a new car but in the box it would maybe it was empty or sometimes in the box there'd be a diamond ring but there'd be a, a goat behind the curtain and so you had to choose wisely and so here we have to choose wisely do we take well, let's make a deal the devil wants you to choose a fleeting life full of suffering and, 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 and insecurity and an inferiority complex and Christ wants you to choose a life of intimacy with him and joy eternal joy that no man can take your joy from you I, I think you know, let's go for the option with Christ thank you very much and so they love not their lives unto death and, and regardless of opposition we have the testimony that Jesus Christ is Lord <clears throat> for verily he took not on him the nature of angels but he took on him the seed of Abraham. And so this is all about going back to the covenant with Abraham. And, and the, the, the covenant with Abraham has to be fulfilled through his seed, which is then going all the way back to the judgment on Adam and Eve and, and, and the devil, and that there's going to be enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the devil. And so this is coming to a climax in the book of Revelation. It certainly came to a head for the first century Hebrews and that what is written for them is for our admonition so that we can be successful in facing what God has shown us is going to happen in the book of Hebrews uh, in, in the book of Revelation so Galatians here says now to Abraham and his seed where the promise is made he says not and to seeds as of many but as of one and to your seed which is Christ and so we understand that Christ is God's word is, is, is true and this is why we can be so strong and courageous because we can trust the word of God it's impossible for God to lie 
So we'll go back to Hebrews, uh, just ending up here. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to comfort them that are tempted. So we have to understand Christ was a human being. He understands what it is to be human. Now he's our high priest, and we're going to understand that more. He's a high priest of the order of Melchizedek. We'll understand that more as we go through the book. Uh, but he's a high priest that understands our weaknesses, and he's able to comfort us. And so Paul says in Corinthians that there's no temptation that has taken us, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, and he will not suffer us to be tempted above what we are able. And this is what the Hebrews needed to understand. Whatever they were having to face, they need to face it. And the Holy Spirit will enable them to face it. And, and God expects them to face it. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. And then the, 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 uh, the sermon that the Apostle was given was part of that way of escape. That, that ability to face what they have to face. The Lord knows how to deliver here in Second Peter 2, 9. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations to reserve the unjust to the day of judgment to be punished. We don't have to face that punishment that the unjust are going to uh, face. I'm just going to skip over Chronicles and just conclude here in Hebrews 3, 1, which will begin, God willing, next week. We'll get into Hebrews uh, chapter 3, but just to keep the, the flow that therefore, <clears throat> so because of all of this rationale that he's just taken, to, taken us through, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. And this is where we're going to go now through these next few chapters, is to consider Christ, our apostle and high priest, and to consider how he lived and what he did and what he accomplished. And once we understand that, we can never be unfaithful. We can never turn our back on him. So that's Hebrews uh, chapter 2. Uh, let's take some time now for some, some Q&A. I just, I really, brethren, want us to understand that this is not a different subject. We have not left the book of Revelation. Everything that we studied in the book of Revelation, we must now uh, use, utilize, to understand the essence of Hebrews. And really there's two things that we want to grasp from this. Number one is, is how great Jesus Christ is. How profoundly glorious and awesome He is. And having understood that, number two, realizing this God has spoken directly to us. He has communicated his plan of salvation directly to us. We can never turn our back on him. And turning our back on him is not sort of just all of a sudden rejecting him and walking out. It's slowly, slowly. It's kind of not studying the word as often as we should. It's uh, not going to be, not being in community as often as we should. It's starting to get cold with the brethren and starting to push them away and starting to entertain imaginations about them. And suddenly we find ourselves no longer really embedded in the community, no longer really loving the plan of salvation. This is what Satan wants. And so the message to Hebrews that's going to help us be successful in facing what we understand in Revelation is pay attention. Pay attention to the Word of God. Embrace it. Read it over and over and over again and just be in love with it. And be in love with God and be in love with his people. And it is this love that is going to get us through. And then this is sort of the, this foundational understanding now is what we'll continue to build on in the, uh, in the rest of the book of Hebrews. So let me now just uh, invite my brother, uh, Pastor Murray, to join us. 
and I believe that he is ready. I'll just make sure that we're all ready to go here. Give me one moment. Uh, Pastor Murray, can you hear me? Okay, great. Just give me a moment to um, sort out here. Um, I just want to just get the sizing of your image correct. And brethren, while I'm doing this, if you have questions, please post them in the chat. Uh, Pastor Murray will look at the, uh, the chat and I will look at Facebook. So brethren, if you're on Facebook watching us live, uh, we'll be able to entertain your questions as well. And let me just get this going here. And uh, Pastor Murray, while we're just getting ready, I don't know if you wanted to make a few comments before we uh, look at the Q&A, look at the questions. Yeah, and I've got you here on screen now. Okay, I think uh, um, what you've done is, is, again, another good job connecting the book of Hebrews to the book of Revelation. In fact, going all the way back to Genesis and connecting the entire Bible to Revelation, which is something that uh, we've studied uh, throughout the book of Revelation. Uh, I think it's fascinating right from the, the very beginning of Hebrews where uh, God says that uh, uh, at various times and various ways has spoken to us through the, the uh, fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son is a foreshadowing of, of revelation uh, obviously yeah, actually, written, that's uh, right. written several years several a few decades before John would have written revelation but uh, it's really I think setting the stage for revelation. That's uh, actually didn't think of that because I'm I'm thinking of just tying it together with Revelation, but it precedes Revelation, and it's actually very good. It's a foreshadowing. Excellent. I think most of the group had to go over to uh, YouTube, uh, so they're just making their way back to they're okay. just making their way back to the study. Uh, we do have a question here from G Ray, uh, asking what does what do we say to someone who has an inferiority complex and is easily offended by the brethren. Wow, that is a fantastic, fantastic question because we are human beings and uh, God doesn't call the, the, the strong and the glorious and people who got their act together. He calls the weak and the base. Um, not, not exclusively, but mostly the weak and the base. And, and that means we come with our baggage. And so we come into the church with this baggage and you know maybe we haven't really accomplished much in our life, but God sees something in us and he wants to glorify his son in us. And so he chooses us, uh, you know, from the dump, from the garbage dump, the, the, the trash heap, and he, he brings us into the church. And he, he gifts us, but if we're not developing our gifts, then maybe we're looking around and we are feeling inferior. And, and often people with an inferiority complex manifest it as a superiority complex. They try to be better than everybody else, and they can't take any kind of insult or offense. They fly off the handle if they're offended. Uh, so I think this is a fantastic question. It's something that we all need to be thinking about. We, we ourselves may suffer from it, uh, but if we don't, how do we help our brethren? And so, uh, Pastor Murray, I wonder what your thoughts are here, because this is such an important question. How do we, even though we may bear the brunt of somebody who has an inferiority complex, how do we see what's really going on, and how do we kind of love them to health? Uh, again, a very good question. Um, very good question from uh, G. Ray, and obviously, I, I don't think the brethren here are, are aware, but we are looking into communication in our congregation. We, we've studied a little bit about this, and uh, taking offense is just as much an issue as as causing offense. And uh, what we find, what we find, and we've talked about this before, is um, it's simply a matter of idolatry. Um, anything short of 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 agape love and having the complete focus on 
what we need to have our focus on is really just our personal issues with idolatry and putting ourselves before Christ and before the brethren. Uh, obviously, there are, are um, issues that people would we would need to help people work through in the scriptures, the epistles, and it's either in Galatians or Ephesians, like off the top of my head, I can't quite remember which one it is, talking about helping people through this. Those who are stronger need to, to bring people along. So, again, um, I think building relation, building relationships with the brethren uh, so that we can be there for them. And, you know, each of us has, each of us has times of weakness. Uh, so when we have relationships and congregations, and that's what the whole revelation was all about, is strengthening our congregations. It's in yeah. the spirit of, spirit of that where we can, we can help each other through these points of weakness. I really like this uh, insight you have that um, taking offense is just as much an issue as giving offense. And so we really need to become the, the, the bigger person, right? Are you okay right, to hear? Correct. Yep. Yeah. That's yeah, 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 something just yep. We need to, we need to become the bigger the bigger person, the Christ like. And also I think, you know, you're talking about communication in our uh, congregation that we can't just sweep things under the rug. Uh, they they build under the rug and then they actually build up and then end up exploding. So when there is an issue, we need to develop this maturity. This ability to say, brother, sister, uh, can we just talk? Can we sit down and talk? And you know, here are the things that I appreciate about you. There is something recently which has kind of gotten under my skin a little bit, and I'm not coming to you just for me. Uh, I'm coming to you because I think this might be an issue for others. And uh, in love, I just want to share, can, can I have permission uh, to share with you uh, what I'm seeing? And, and then you see you know, if, if what I'm seeing is correct. Um, but Matthew 18, Christ tells us, you have to go after that brother. And it's That's not right. to go after the brother say, oh yeah, forget it, it's all in the past now. It's, it's to work through the issue to gain your brother and come Absolutely. to true resolution. In fact, even Matthew 5, uh, God doesn't even want our worship. Uh, it's, in, it's in the form of, of offerings in Matthew 5. Yes. But offering, offerings are a form of worship. So God doesn't want our worship of Him if we have anything against a brother. Yeah, so, very, very good. Uh, and again, you're you're right. It's 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 a it's a fear that we have to to address things head on, that uh, um, lead to these things. So we need to just fight fight through that with the spirit of love, power, and of a sound mind. Exactly. And I would say as well, uh, Murray. Tell me what you think about this. The more we're in the Book of Revelation, the more we have the big picture, the less we're likely to be drawn into these petty squabbles and people fighting over who makes the coffee this week and why are you doing that and I want this and you know what the big picture do we really want to be fighting over these silly little things I think I think that's a, a fascinating takeaway from the, these studies is um, there's so little that that uh, not nothing nothing makes nothing can take uh, can override uh, um, the big picture. So we should see all these things as just as small little issues that we should be able to use. If we can't work through these little issues, well, how are we going to be able to, to persevere through what's coming? Exactly. Exactly right. We do have another question here from Adele. Yes. Um, oh, did you want to take one from uh, Facebook first? Uh, no, just some amens on Facebook. Uh, I don't see a question. Okay, so Adele has uh, one here. What does it mean that Jesus was made perfect through sufferings? This implies he was imperfect before. Yeah, another really good question. And I think as I was reading that, I, I, I used the word mature, made mature, made complete through suffering. So 
God is sent Christ to earth to be to become our high priest and in order for him to serve in this role as high priest he himself had to suffer and he had to learn obedience through suffering so that he could complete this process and become our pioneer so I, I don't read it as uh, to become perfect and I think the English does imply that he was not quite perfect before we know he is the Almighty and he is perfect but I read it more as uh, to, to serve in this capacity, and we'll get more into it as we go into Hebrews, but to serve in this capacity as high priest and pioneer, he himself had to suffer uh, and be faithful through that suffering so that he could be the lead, be, uh, you know, don't, it's not just do as I say, he can now come and say, do as I did. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, I completely agree with that. He obviously, uh, for himself of his divinity, he came down to show us the right way to live, that, that uh, um, a man could uh, follow uh, with the help of the Holy Spirit, could follow uh, through and be the perfect obedient servant that he was and to show us the way. So uh, in that sense, uh, I, again, made perfect does, does conjure up some some uh, misunderstanding for sure, but I think I, I, I definitely agree with that. And uh, I'm not sure, I just wanted to ask you a question, Mark, because I was struck in reading Hebrews by the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just the sternness of this sermon, because this is really a sermon that's delivered to the brethren, and he's not pulling punches at all. And I wonder if you have any thoughts or observations about that as well. This is not a hey everyone hope everyone's well and hope everyone's happy and let's just praise the Lord and let's 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 pray for that new car that new house uh, it's sure a very sure. very stern letter or, yeah or, or I think sermon. I think uh, connecting that to the uh, uh, golden lampstand in the middle of the uh, middle of the churches uh, shows uh, and then actually you, you brought out Jan's uh, sermon from last Sabbath in Deuteronomy 23 uh, I think the more we go through uh, Revelation, and I mean, we've talked before, everything before Revelation is past. Revelation is the only book that we have that is future-oriented. So for those of us who are, are uh, in process now, uh, that is the book that we need to look, to look uh, forward to and, and to look at for, for our actions and, and where we need to, to build towards. So um, I completely agree that, that uh, uh, it's so much easier to understand um, the sternness of Hebrews and Revelation when you understand that Christ is here trying to um, uh, get us to the finish line. Exactly. And, and when we see the history of Israel uh, uh, from the beginning of, of Israel's history, um, we, it's, just a, it's just a weakness in, in mankind from, from the beginning. And he so badly wants us to, to get to that finish line. That, um, as a, and any parent can understand that they need to be stern. I, I wonder, um, Pastor Murray, as we look at the prophecy that says uh, evil men will wax worse and worse, if we look at the prophecy that say because iniquity shall abound, uh, the love of many will wax cold, and then we look at the prophecy that says many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many, prophecy that says, you know, prophesy unto us smooth things, uh, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us, if it's going to become more and more difficult for us as elders to be faithful elders 
because you know we will have to be giving instruction like Hebrews where it's not going to land softly on the ear but it's a message of love to say there's this great salvation ahead of us we cannot turn our back on it we've got to clean up we've got to get the leaven out of our congregation and so the message may not be smooth but maybe that people will want smooth messages and the false teachers will be giving smooth messages as as the world uh, dwindles and and um, the, the bar for behavior uh, lessons and lessons with each passing it seems like day now instead of week or month um, starting to see examples of that infiltrating the church and I think that's going to be one of our challenges uh, is and what we uh, in congregations we we we're, we are we build relationships with each other we are, we are friends but ultimately as as teachers we have a responsibility and uh, it is when uh, it is when we need to speak up for Christ that uh, we need to do so with boldness uh, much like Paul did with Peter I'm, I'm sure I'm sure it wasn't comfortable when when Paul had to take Peter to task uh, but he did so because it was the right thing. So uh, when you have love for Christ and for the brethren, you have the you talked earlier about the big picture. When you when you have the big picture, it becomes easier to to make those those difficult decisions. And I think um, the Holy Spirit. Hopefully, we are speaking inspired by the Spirit, and then the brethren are receiving the message inspired by the Spirit. And so it's almost like thank you. You know, it's uh, rather than bristle. It's like they will, the Spirit will understand, what does Christ say, that my sheep know my voice. And so the, 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 the brethren will hear the voice of Christ, that yeah, this is, I think I heard uh, in Jeff, who was not in his sermon, it was fellowshipping with him afterward, but he was saying, you know, maybe it was in our Q&A afterward, he was saying, you know, is it in the scripture? Yes, it was in the Q&A afterward. And he was saying, you know, it's not just your opinion and my opinion, it's let's see now let's try to reconcile our difference with the scripture what does the scripture say is it in the word of god and i think this is the key uh, yeah absolutely we were talking in, in, right after that about biblical thinking and making sure that we think we think we put on the, the our glasses which of, of scripture and see everything through through the lens of scripture mm-hmm. there's just a comment here on facebook uh, murray where uh, natasha writes uh, chapter one verse two has really helped me with coming to terms with Jesus is God. I am new to the Church of God, and I used to attend the church which taught otherwise. So uh, welcome, Natasha. And I, and I do know, in fact, we had a, a brother uh, pass through uh, our congregation for a little while, and he was fellowshipping with us, and, and it was wonderful. And then he had a lovely family, or he has a lovely family. Uh, and when it came to Jesus is God, he just bristled at that and just said, no, Jesus is kind of this halfway, he's more than a man, but he's less than God. He's not God. And uh, he just couldn't see this. And I think exactly right, as, as we study not just Hebrews 1, verse 2, but the entire book of Hebrews, it, it's crystal, crystal clear. And even in Revelation 1, uh, it says that, you know, uh, uh, grace and peace from uh, him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, it says, and from Jesus Christ, uh, which is and which was and which is to come, and he says, the Almighty, the Almighty. So it's very clear, this is, we're dealing with the Almighty, and certainly here in, um, uh, so she said verse 8, sorry, I guess uh, 
one verse eight. Let's just take a look at that. Um, but yeah, any any thoughts there, um, Pastor Murray, on Jesus is God, and we need to yeah, understand absolutely. this. And she's new to the church, so it's something that's like, wow, yeah, Jesus is God. Yeah, absolutely. I think I would recommend. It is a heavy sermon, uh, but I think if uh, Natasha and, and anyone else out there who is uh, studying into the nature of Christ, uh, there's a really good sermon by Vance Stinson uh, from the First Table of the Bread called "One God," yes. which you can find on which you can find on the CGI dot uh, org website, where he really goes into uh, um, the the uh, nature versus level of authority, uh, and there's so two different concepts in right. this in in understanding uh, what what makes up God uh, and the fact that Christ and God share the same nature but as you pointed out in Hebrews here they don't share the same level of authority uh, God God the Father put all things under Christ would accept himself which indicates that there's a, a, a difference in authority so uh, I would really recommend those who are, are looking into that that subject um, to to take a, a listen to that sermon called one God and it would probably uh, be worthy of a, a two or three listenings for sure it was a yeah, very well done sermon very well done very very clearly laid out uh, just addresses this whole confusion around the definition of God I'm so glad you recommended that in fact I'm just going to go and look for it so I can post it uh, in Facebook um, so if you don't mind uh, Marie just uh, carry on talking sure. there well, I yeah, just uh, a couple of other comments. Uh, no other questions, but I'll just read a couple of comments. One from Joe's Garage in regard to Adele's question on Jesus being made perfect through sufferings. Uh, he comments that also made the perfect sacrifice, his shedding of his precious blood for our remission of sins. Uh, and that's uh, certainly something that uh, uh, we need to, to keep close to heart is the, the, the preciousness of the sacrifice of, of Christ to allow us to to uh, be forgiven and to be on this journey. Um, Sister with Love makes a comment that we must have the truth, not watered down, but just as it is. And that's uh, certainly something that uh, these Bible studies are, are part and parcel of. And then some, just some other blessings and uh, uh, thank yous from William and Margie. Um, well, that's great, uh, Pastor Murray. Thanks so much for taking the time and for always just being there and answering questions and just all this yeah, thank support. you for having me, and uh, certainly appreciate all your, your hard work in uh, um, putting these studies together. Yeah, I, I appreciate you. I appreciate you so much, and appreciate the brethren. And as you said, it's almost like a virtual uh, virtual congregation that we have here. We just edify one another and encourage one another. Uh, so thank you, Pastor Murray. Uh, thank you, brethren, for joining us. Uh, thank you for those on Facebook and, and the chat with your questions and comments and encouragements. And just remember, that's what it's all about community. That we, we each have the Holy Spirit, we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, not for ourselves, but for each other. And so this whole not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together is critical so that we can edify one another, so that we can grow stronger, so that whatever comes, we can face it, we face it together. So brethren, thanks very much, good night. Remember, Jesus Christ is King, Jesus Christ is the Almighty. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.